When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome to Real Vision Crypto. Enjoy today's show. Hello, and welcome to Crypto Unwrapped, where we cut through the noise and hype surrounding digital assets to get you ahead of the curve, bringing you key takeaways for investing in crypto, Web3, and beyond. We're live every Wednesday. I'm Nico Bruga, executive producer at Real Vision. Joining me today are crypto editor Ash Bennington and Santiago Velez, co-founder and R&D division lead at Block Digital. Please send us your questions. You can go, to, you can do it through our Pro Crypto Discord channel, the Real Vision Exchange, our website, YouTube, or Twitter. Trust me, we want to hear from you. Ash, what's the latest price action looking like? Well, right now, uh, Bitcoin trading at 30709 according to data from CoinMarketCap. Uh, we've seen an increase in volatility over the last 24 hours. I think we have a chart of this. Uh, there are some folks who called us the Bart Simpson pattern. You can see on the chart, uh, for obvious reasons, looks a little bit like Bart Simpson's hair. Uh, this comes on the heels uh, of a week that snapped the longest single losing streak uh, in Bitcoin history. Bitcoin had been down for 10 consecutive weeks uh, in a row from about 48,000 falling to 25,400 uh, at the low. I spoke with Dean Carr, founder of See the Light Trading. Uh, he voiced some concerns about Bitcoin price action. Let's take a look. So at this point, what I need to see from Bitcoin to feel more comfortable that this market's about to turn back up is, a, is more of a three-prong, multi-time frame approach. I'd like to see a rotation back over a previous week's high. We haven't had that in a proper manner for many, many weeks. And when I mean, what I mean by rotation, I mean a daily close over a previous week's high, not a little pop above it and then a fail. So in this case, let's start seeing 32.4, 32.5, a close over that. Then we'll move over to the monthly chart. And then it's got to prove itself by getting all the way back over 40,023. And until that happens, it's very hard for me not to think there's a door open that we could push all the way back to that 20 to 22,000 area. I want to be bullish, but I can't be bullish until I see those rotations. Some really fascinating analysis right there. And for anyone who wants to check out the full episode, it published today for free on Real Vision Crypto. Ash, um, mind digging into what else uh, See the Light uh, broke down with you? Well, you know, obviously, uh, this is technical analysis. So what he's looking at here uh, are key technical technical levels. Uh, this is things like previous highs, uh, previous lows, Fibonacci series. Specifically, uh, he's talking about rotation back over a previous week's high. He points out this key level uh, of 40,023 uh, and says that effectively that he cannot be bullish until he sees these rotations uh, back to prior. Really interesting analysis from him. And again, you know, check it out today. Um, every Wednesday, we have a series of technical analysts who stop by and break down the latest um, price movement. Um, uh, Ash, you uh, feel like moving on or should uh, we have yeah, some? Yeah, we can talk a little bit about Ethereum. Uh, so Ethereum right now trading at $1,821, again, according to CoinMarketCap data. 
you know, Ethereum has been a bit in the spotlight lately uh, as it moves to the proof-of-stake consensus mechanism. Uh, the network's oldest testnet, this is Ropsten, uh, is expected to make the transition uh, moment now, uh, scheduled for Wednesday night Asia time. Uh, so that's coming up rel relatively shortly. Uh, Ethereum has seen some major outflows lately. This is according uh, to a, uh, you know, to what we've been looking at uh, when we look at some of the some of the reporting data. Specifically, uh, there's a CoinShares report out, the Digital Asset Bi-Monthly Fund Manager Survey, uh, which found that investors managing uh, $200 billion worth of assets have moved from Ethereum to Cardano, uh, Polkadot, uh, and Ripple's XRP. Again, an outflow uh, from Ethereum into those other protocols. Uh, one more interesting note on Ethereum. Rubishin has been holding an event in London this week uh, where many of the investors uh, seem to be quite enthusiastic about uh, conversations that I've had with Rubishin uh, employees who were there uh, about both the 2.0 timeline, the transition to Ethereum 2.0, uh, and about getting uh, Ethereum out of its current price rut. Uh, finally, I just wanted to make one more uh, point about price action as we have this conversation. Metaverse tokens seem to be defying the wider crypto market. Uh, according to a report by Kraken Intelligence and CoinGecko, Metaverse tokens are up 400% year over year, despite the broader downturn. Fascinating. Just to say, as we talk about this, uh, you know, we're having this conversation about price action. Uh, and finally, one other point I think that's important to mention as we talk about price. Uh, another point where we can see potential major impact on price is in regulation. Uh, Santiago, we seem to be moving one step closer to getting that done, at least here in the U.S. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Ash. Uh, regulation, huge regulations released yesterday, proposals in the Senate by uh, two senators, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand from New York and Senator Loomis from Wyoming, longtime Bitcoin supporter. Uh, so th that's that's a wide ranging, comprehensive bill that se seeks to, I guess, address multiple um, un you know, un regulatory uncertainties in, in various categories. Uh, we could go through a, a deep dive into the bill. Uh, it's it's a it's a massive uh, statement from the Senate. Uh, so we'll see whether or not it's going to get passed. Uh, there's uh, bipartisan support in it so far, uh, it, and it looks uh, uh, to follow right along the lines of the president's executive order that was released earlier this year to kind of get consensus in the various regulatory bodies on who's going to govern what and what the definitions are. Uh, so it's very encouraging. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'd like to mention one quick thing um, on the price action, uh, just you know, following up on our prior conversation. Um, I think that there's going to be a common thread here between price action on Ethereum, Bitcoin, et cetera, as it relates to macro conditions. Uh, those assets are still very much risk-based um, and highly correlated to equities. Uh, so, you know, I think uh, we've seen a, a shift in the macro environment. It, it seems to be um, very much a uh, correl you know, correlated to the, the Federal Reserve's behavior we haven't yet seen Bitcoin or Ethereum, regardless of its uh, consensus algorithm, we haven't seen it perform in a non-accommodative environment. So this is really a, a kind of a shift. And so I think it should be noted that uh, regardless of what happens with uh, Bitcoin legislation or with Ethereum as a consensus protocol, it could be outweighed by uh, the macro conditions on the Fed. Yeah, that really is a critical point. Uh, we have not ever...
history of Bitcoin, uh, this taking place in an environment where we didn't have massive accommodative or ultra accommodative monetary policy, whether in the form of Fed balance sheet expansion, forward guidance, uh, or zero interest rate policy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really a fascinating time. And, you know, what I'd like to hear from you guys is what, how do you think the crypto community is going to react to this proposed um, regulations? And how likely do you think it is to pass? Well, I guess it depends which quarter of the crypto community we're talking I expect that people who are involved uh, in the TradFi space uh, who are beginning to are very excited about it. And anyone who is involved in a regulated entity uh, in any way that touches crypto, one of the greatest things that you'll hear uh, both on camera and over a couple of cocktails uh, is about the fear of regulatory uncertainty uh, and how regulation being uh, cemented in place is something that they see uh, as a major potential tailwind to the space if it can get done. You know, this bill is uh, is sort of a broadly diverse bill. It touches on a lot of different domains within the crypto space. Uh, $200 exemption uh, for taxable events, uh, more regulation within the purview of CFTC, uh, DEX registration, stablecoin, reserve disclosures. Uh, it really is a, a laundry list of all of the things uh, that people who are looking for uh, regulatory clarity have been searching for. I would say one other point about this, and maybe this is just the point that's too obvious to mention, uh, but the fact that we have two very prominent senators uh, in uh, one in the Republican Party, one in the Democratic Party, uh, talking about this really does in itself exemplify just how far crypto has moved. When I was uh, doing research on this yesterday, I was reading an article in Barron's. Barron's is covering this, right? This is something that's very much reached the mainstream uh, of American uh, financial services and business stories. This is really something to behold. Obviously, the politics, the question of how it gets through or doesn't get through uh, both houses of Congress. Uh, we know uh, from last time this uh, this conversation was happened, uh, we had we got very close to getting uh, an agreement and accommodation. Some political things came up at the last minute. But this is really a fascinating moment. It's crypto's moment in the spotlight up on the Hill. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, Ash. Um, you know, there was a lot of skepticism prior to the bill being released uh, that it was going to be solely uh, kind of Senator Loomis's vision. And, and she's a well-known Bitcoin uh, supporter. Uh, and, and so there were concerns from others in the Web3 and, 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 and crypto communities that it would be heavily biased against many other projects, particularly those that uh, may not be as decentralized or have proof of work. Uh, so to see it come out and be much more comprehensive and touch upon many of the other topics, even things uh, as recently relevant like stable coins, that's very encouraging. And I think it gives a uh, it gives a lot more credibility too that it's bipartisan. Um, as we know, in New York State recently, there was legislation to uh, restrict proof of work uh, from from carbon emitting sources and, and you know uh, restarting power plants. Um, so to see it also come from a New York State senator is very encouraging as well. Uh, so those two things and that combination, I think, it, it gives it a lot of merit to uh, you know how how this could evolve. Uh, both senators have stated that this is not the final version and have solicited active feedback on changes, particularly as it relates to the definitions uh, and how it might impact uh, the tax treatments, et cetera. Um, one thing I found really interesting about it was uh, the way in which uh, digital assets, if they're created, let's say during the mining process, would not be a taxable event. That has a significant impact, I believe, on flows and liquidations and essentially market price, uh, because large scale miners 
are no longer forced to kind of liquidate their inventories to pay for their OPEX. Uh, and therefore, uh, it, it, could, it could relieve some of the price pressure um, and, and, and not force miners to come up with tax liability, right? So very encouraging. Yeah, that's very well said and an important point. I think part of the challenge uh, for the last round of uh, legislation that we looked at uh, was effectively trying to apply some of the paradigms from the traditional uh, financial services space, digital assets, when frankly, they're just not exactly direct parallels there. And so sorting through some of these questions and trying to figure out how we can get legislation that makes sense uh, for the digital asset space that meets the objectives that the legislators have uh, and gives regulators a framework that makes sense within the context of crypto, absolutely critical, Santiago. Very well. Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead, Santiago, please. Well, I was going to say another very uh, uh, kind of interesting below the radar topic not discussed is kind of the shot across the bow to the Chinese CBDC. Uh, in the bill, there are proposals to ensure that if the U.S. government in any capacity were to use or and somehow interact with Chinese CBDCs, that it would be looked at through the lens of national security, cybersecurity, et cetera. I think that's a profound political statement to say, we recognize you have this digital asset instrument that you're deploying. We also recognize the incredible surveillance powers that it has as a CBDC, and we're directing the, the U.S. government to ensure that there are appropriate controls on how it's used and monitored. Uh, so I, I think that went widely unnoticed in the community, uh, but I, I think it's very significant. Absolutely. It's an absolutely fascinating point. And like with all things with crypto, the ripple effects and the nuances are almost always too many to count. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Um, speaking of regulation and the SEC, on Monday, there was a bit of a double whammy for Binance. Um, Reuters came out with an expose, and then Bloomberg reported an SEC investigation. Let's start with Reuters. Reuters did a deep dive into Binance and found um, that Binance processed transactions totaling at least 2.35 billion, all of which stemmed from legal activities, according to this report. The flow of illicit crypto through Binance, as identified by Reuters, represents only a small portion of the exchange overall trading volumes. However, data shows that from 2017 to 2022, buyers and sellers on the world's largest darknet drug market a Russian language site called Hydra used Binance to make and receive crypto payments worth $780 million. Now, Binance, of course, has um, refuted this statement. Uh, CZ released a tweet along with saying, this is a 50 pages of email records between our cybersecurity team, ex-law enforcement backgrounds, and the cherry picking, misleading, and time wasting journalists. So if you have time and want to dig through that 50 page rebuttal, feel free. Otherwise, Bloomberg then reported also on Monday that the Security and Exchange Commission is reviewing uh, Binance's origins and those of its BNB token, which is now the world's fifth biggest token. 
Investigators are examining if the 2017 initial coin offering amounted to the sale of security that should have been registered with the agency. So obviously lots and lots to dig in there. Um, very, very interesting time for these companies like Binance, especially as we just discussed, regulation is coming over the horizon. And on another point, Ash, I know you had an interesting story you wanted to touch on involving some apes and uh, some apes that maybe went missing. Yeah, another exploit in the NFT space. Uh, and once again, it's uh, Board Ape Yacht Club. Probably not a surprise there, as it is the, uh, a very significant target in the space uh, because of its popularity and because of its value. Uh, so once again, and this is something that we've been banging the table on here at Real Vision, something that I've been talking about uh, for some weeks now, which is the risk that we're seeing of web 2.0 protocols getting exploited uh, that ultimately result in losses in Web3. Let me explain and unpack this a little bit. Uh, so a community Discord server got hacked around the Board Ape project. Uh, a community manager had their credentials compromised, uh, and ultimately uh, a hack took place. Uh, this is this is another example of this sort of ancillary Web2 protocol being used to exploit uh, the value or to extract tokens uh, through nefarious means. Uh, the dollar value of this hack was relatively small, uh, relatively small, of course, uh, being, again, a relative point. Uh, the Discord server hack netted around $357,000 uh, in lost board apes. This is versus uh, a $2.4 million hack uh, through Instagram uh, that, just, uh, that just happened uh, a few weeks ago, uh, where we've been talking about this, having this conversation uh, right here. Now, look, there are going to be a lot of we told you so hot takes uh, in the space, people who are saying you, you need to uh, verify, uh, obviously, which site you are going to when you're doing your minting. You have to verify the smart contracts. But the reality is these are challenges that are just fundamental and inherent to uh, the space right now because the user experience, user interface uh, really just is not as grown up, not as mature, not as stable and easy for people to use. You've got to make it uh, the protocol space, uh, the actual tools that are being used, uh, the wallets specifically, so that it's very easy for people to make good decisions right now. I don't think we're there yet. Uh, we're going to see, in my view, the continuation of more of these types of Web2 exploits because they've been successful in the past and they're very likely to be successful in the future. This is a real challenge to the space. Uh, it's something that we're going to be watching closely here at Real Vision. One final point, just shift gears here a little bit, another hack in the DeFi space, uh, this one to the Osmosis Protocol. This is a Cosmos-based DeFi exchange uh, attacked. Preliminary reports now suggesting uh, that the exploit has been used to steal about $5 million. A lot to talk about there, probably a lot for everyone in the space to think about. Absolutely, Ash. I mean, it's uh, what, every week now we're hearing about these type of exploits. Um, you know, all we can say is look into cold wallets to viewer, do your own research and uh, not your keys, not your coins or your NFTs. Um, yeah, I, said, I don't think cold wallets would have uh, solved this. People actually went to the wrong site. They were fished effectively uh, by uh, this Discord hack. They clicked on a link, were brought to the wrong site. So if they'd had their storage uh, in cold wallets, they probably would have gotten hacked anyway if they'd gone through this procedure. Again, multiple vectors for attacks, multiple ways that people are using these weaknesses in the user experience and user interface uh, to effectively steal people's stuff. Absolutely. Very, very scary. So speaking of users, we got some uh, viewer questions before we wrap up today. So first, from Kenneth R. on the RV website. 
Um, I was wondering what the effects will be of the Fed rolling treasuries off their balance sheet and how that will affect the price of treasuries. USDC is backed by cash and what they call cash equivalents such as treasuries. Are they increasing their position size in treasuries relative to cash as bond prices fall to cover the decline in value of treasuries? We'd love to see some discussion on the nuance of the assets that back stable coins and how the change in price of these assets, assets affect the stability of asset-backed stable coins. A lot of asset, a lot of asset-backed. Ash, Santiago, what are your thoughts? Well, we know for sure that uh, at least, you know, first it's important to make a differentiation in stable coins between the algorithmic type of the, you know, kind of like Luna uh, versus those uh, that backed in, like commercial paper or dollars like USDC. Uh, I, I think in both instances, uh, it's important to have regular audits and making sure that there's transparency in what those backs, what is backing those things. Um, and, and the problem with that is, uh, as as it relates to treasuries, for example, um, is the profitability of the underlying institution. Uh, their ability to make money gets squeezed as the rates change. And so them staying uh, as, a, as a profitable entity to be there to, to make those redemptions ultimately, that's more important, I believe, than maintaining that peg. That, that peg is actually fairly easy to maintain, but it's the inflows into the organization to make sure that they're stable. That, that's where I, I have concerns. Yeah, and just to pick up on a point, uh, this is probably something that Kenneth R. knows, but just to give uh, our viewers a little bit more context, people who don't uh, necessarily backgrounds in the macro space. So the reason that the Fed expanded the balance sheet is this is a function of ultra-accommodative monetary policy. When you have interest rates at or near the zero lower bound and you want to be more accommodative, uh, you want to effectively loosen uh, monetary policy and you don't have any room to go because the rates uh, are already at the ZLB, the zero lower bound, what do you do? You balance sheet. Uh, this is something that's public. Obviously, you can go take a look at this on the St. Louis Fed Fred website. There's a series called WALCL that shows this dramatic expansion in the Fed balance sheet, uh, first beginning uh, in the 2008-2009 time period, uh, and then expanding dramatically uh, during the COVID uh, era. We have now about $9 trillion on the Fed balance sheet. Uh, the real challenge here, and this calls back to something uh, that Santiago mentioned earlier in the show, uh, which is this the correlation between risk assets. You have this massive flood of liquidity coming into uh, the broader uh, the broader financial ecosystem. Uh, and what happens with that is risk assets get bid up, whether that is, you know, uh, so-called high-duration tech stocks, what you see, for example, in the NASDAQ, uh, as you saw the Fed balance sheet expand. Uh, and, and it's happening in crypto as well. Santiago made an incredibly important point earlier when he said, we've never seen in the era of Bitcoin uh, anything other than ultra-accommodative monetary policy, unconventional monetary policy. What happens when that liquidity begins to withdraw from the system? This is a, a broad sort of philosophical question that we are all going to have to face uh, across assets in the digital asset space, and it's going to be incredibly interesting and perhaps a little bit bumpy to watch, Nico. Oh, absolutely. And speaking of bumpy, we got another user question from a Barclay P. I think we all might know who that is, our chief content officer here at Real Vision. Um, Barclay wanted to know, do the constant hacks across blockchain technologies, not just Board Ape Yacht Club, suggest blockchain industry needs a new level or generation of security program? Santiago, I know you've done a ton of security style interviews for us. What are your thoughts? I think it's a, it relates to a fundamental problem that is the human. Uh, the, that is the ultimate attack vector. 
because social phishing is well known and implemented in other non-crypto related activities with email links and so forth. So that's never really going away. What's fundamentally different here is the custodial nature of crypto. If you custody your assets and you're subject to a phishing attack, naturally they can access those, those assets if not custody properly. So I think you know no amount of UI UX is going to overcome that kind of human element. The only way is education, practice, good practices, and then may, maybe ultimately the vast majority of individuals will not self-custody. They'll use third-party custodians or MPC. Um, I think for onboarding you know, the next billion users into crypto, that, that's really what's gonna be needed uh, because the vast majority of people I just don't think will uh, either uh, uh, go through the learning curve that's pretty steep or exercise the constant good practices necessary to remain secure. Yeah, I, I, I agree with uh, with Santiago on this. I, the short answer to Barclay's question is yes, we do need uh, to have a very serious uh, reckoning uh, about the space. And I think that we, we, we are still very much in the early stages with UI, UX, uh, and also uh, with some of the sort of uh, frameworks for how these things get dealt with uh, from the from the process perspective, the maturity of the process itself, things like bug bounties, uh, the way that code audits get done, all of these things that we have uh, a lot of experience with uh, in the traditional uh, SaaS or programming space more broadly, I think we're gonna start to see those coming in. Uh, it's gonna take time to mature, but there's one final point that's really important to point out here about all of this is Bitcoiners are sitting back right now saying, what security problems? Our network is functioning precisely as it has been for years on end. And so when Bitcoiners talk about uh, how they are very skeptical of some of the things that are happening in the crypto space, this is precisely the reason why. This is an incredibly important argument to, be, to make uh, that Bitcoin has been and has remained secure uh, as a network while we have seen all of these challenges, all of these exploits uh, in DeFi and NFTs. Now look, to be fair, it's not quite an apples to apples comparisons. These technologies are incredibly new. They're absolutely at the bleeding edge. Some of them are science projects. I've said this before on Real Vision, sometimes with science projects, the test tubes blow up, and as in the case of Terra, sometimes the laboratory burns. <laughs> Very well said, Ash. Very well said. So um, it's time for us to move on. We're almost at the end of the show, so it's time for our weekly segment, what we don't have time to talk about, but what you need to know. I'm going to kick it off. we got a really interesting one here. PayPal has finally caught up with the rest of the industry. They are going to start allowing their users to transfer crypto off of PayPal into external wallets. This is amazing considering so much of crypto and the crypto diehards love saying, not your keys, not your coins. Well, if you can't control the wallet, it's not really your coins. We've seen this with the recent reports coming out of Coinbase, that if you keep Coinbase coins in their wallet, if they were to go bankrupt, it might be used against the bankruptcy. Still a lot to figure out there, obviously, but a big first step for PayPal to join the rest of the industry. Santiago, what's your story today? Uh, I think this is the rebellion striking back. This is uh, Crypto Bank Custodia, formerly Avanti, uh, formed in, under the unique Wyoming banking laws, spearheaded by CEO Caitlin Long. Uh, she's a Morgan Stanley veteran. They're basically suing the Fed for uh, not having their master account being awarded to them in a timely manner. It's basically saying we're being discriminated uh, simply because of our approach to digital assets, crypto and banking and they're going to take it to the courts and let, let them decide. So it, very interesting, and, and I think it's it could be a uh, trend-setting, uh, precedent-setting case. 
Absolutely. And Ash, what do you got? Uh, Coindesk sources reporting that Citadel is partnering with Virtu to build a cryptocurrency trading ecosystem. Uh, Citadel, obviously a huge head fund, hedge fund uh, run by Ken Griffin uh, uh, and T-Shop and Market Maker. Uh, Ken Griffin, as many people will remember, uh, was the quote-unquote bad guy in the view of uh, many of the Wall Street Bets folks uh, during the GameStop uh, story. We'll remember that very well. And of course, he uh, purchased uh, the constitution the constitution dow uh was looking uh to buy as well so it's an interesting story i guess it's uh you know interesting from the perspective of this is showing that even the folks who have been on the opposite side of the aisle many times around this coming into crypto in a big way uh because there are profits to be made trading the assets it's no it's no surprise either that uh binance the largest exchange being sued under regular regulatory attack Meanwhile, a lot of U.S. domestics coming into the game to build their own trading ecosystem. So it's very coincidental. <laughs> yeah, well said. Well, that's it for this week. Remember, you can keep the conversation going in the comments below and also on the exchange and on our Pro Crypto Discord server. If you're looking for more crypto content, Raul has an interview with Hunter Horsley coming out on Real Vision Crypto this Friday. Uh, and the RV team will bring you content from the Consensus Summit in Austin. That starts tomorrow. All of that available if you subscribe to Real Vision Crypto right now for free. See you next week on Live on Crypto Unwrapped.